0: Hello and welcome to the podcast edition of Scripps' 5 Must Know Things, this time for the Business Week ended 15th October 2021. This is Ian Haydock. In this episode, US tax policies challenge pharma, J&J's long-time R&D head to retire, Legend Biotech's CEO talks about plans, BMS's disappointment in ulcerative colitis, and another gene therapy partnership for Takeda. Corporate tax reform policies under consideration by the Democratic-controlled US Congress have not had as much attention from industry as legislation on drug pricing. But a higher corporate tax rate would be another headwind for the industry to absorb on top of any new drug pricing policies. Jessica Merrill reports that Democrats have proposed raising the US corporate tax rate to 26.5% from a rate of 21% established with the Trump administration's 2017 Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. The lower rate at the time was viewed as a rousing win for US corporations, including pharma companies, which benefited from a lower tax rate as well as the opportunity to bring cash stockpiled overseas back to the US at a competitive rate. Now Democrats are looking to reset the tax rate so that corporations will fund some of the social expenditures in the Build Back Better Act, currently under negotiation in Congress. Other changes under review, particularly around how Medicare negotiates drug prices with drug makers, have ignited an aggressive lobbying campaign on the part of pharma. Bernstein analyst Ronnie Gal forecast in a 16th September research note new effective tax rates for companies in his coverage portfolio ranging from 14.5% for Jazz Pharmaceuticals to 20.8% for Gilead Sciences based on a standard corporate tax rate of 26.5%. Merck Co said a lower tax rate allows US companies to operate on a level playing field. For our sector, a fair and competitive tax system allows American biopharmaceutical companies to lead the world in the innovation of life-saving medicines and vaccines, the company said in a statement to Scrip. Simply put, these proposed tax increases would undermine the biopharmaceutical sector's ability to do its important work when the world needs it most. Jessica also writes that Johnson & Johnson's longtime head of R&D, Paul Stofels, will retire at the end of the year, creating a bigger leadership transition at the company as the change coincides with the departure of CEO Alex Gorski. J&J announced the retirement of Stofels on 12 October, but did not reveal a successor, raising questions about who will oversee the sprawling R&D operation at the diversified Big Pharma. Gorski already announced his plans to step down as CEO at the start of the new year, with Vice Chairman Joaquin Duato poised to take over as CEO. The transition is expected to be a smooth one, given that Duato helped direct J&J's broad strategic vision and previously led J&J's pharmaceutical division, the company's largest business unit by revenue. R&D at J&J's pharmaceutical unit Janssen is overseen by Global Head of R&D Mathai Mammon who joined at j in 2017 from Merken Co. Stofolz is recognized for driving JNJ's innovation strategy, including establishing a network of global innovation hubs starting a decade ago in biotech hotspots like Boston, California, London, and Shanghai. He's also recognized as the architect of J-Labs, the company's incubator to address the earliest stages of drug, device, and diagnostic development, which now spans 700 companies. The Janssen R&D team, under his leadership, is credited with developing 25 new medicines that reached the market during his tenure, first overseeing pharmaceutical R&D and later J&J more broadly. I am proud of the impact we have made and confident that our vibrant community of world-leading scientists and engineers will position our company for continued success, Stoffel said in a statement. As the deadline for the US FDA to rule on the second BCMA-targeting CAR T-cell therapy for multiple myeloma draws near, the product's original developer, Legend Biotech, already has its sights set on tackling an as-yet-untapped CAR T-market, T-cell lymphomas, and it plans to mostly take on the task by itself. Alaric diamant rises. that Legend announced on 13th September that it dosed the first patient in the phase one study of LB1901 in relapsed or refractory peripheral T-cell lymphoma or cutaneous T-cell lymphoma. The therapy targets CD4, which is an antigen commonly expressed on the surfaces of cancerous T-cells. The news comes ahead of Legend's first major catalyst, the anticipated approval of Siltacel. The company licensed the BCMA-targeting CAR-T to Johnson & Johnson and it will likely be the second cell therapy for multiple myeloma on the market after Bristol-Myers Squibb's Bluebird Bios, Abecma. But in contrast to multiple myeloma, which is the second most common hematological cancer in the US, T-cell lymphomas affect a relatively tiny population. There are many subtypes collectively making up less than 15% of the estimated 81,560 non Hodgkin's lymphoma cases in the US. The relative paucity of T cell lymphoma treatments, a handful of chemotherapies and targeted therapies, is what spurred Legend to pursue them. Drugs already approved for T cell lymphomas include CGN's Adcetris, Aurobindo's Folotin and Biliodac, and BMS's Istodax. Still, many patients unfortunately relapse from the existing therapies or they're just refractory, Legend's CEO Ying Huang told Scrip. And that's why we see this unmet need for T-cell lymphoma here. Whereas JNJ has taken the lead with Siltacel, Huang said Legend plans to develop and commercialise LB1901 on its own, especially in the US. Part of that is because the PTCL-CTCL indication being targeted is small and manageable for a company of its size, even if it's probably not what we call a blockbuster opportunity, Huang said. Bristol-Myers Squibb has ambitious development plans for its first-in-class selective tyrosine kinase 2 inhibitor, ducravacitinib, in a wide range of autoimmune diseases. But one proof-of-concept study has come up short. The company announced on 7th October that a phase 2 trial testing the drug in ulcerative colitis failed to meet the primary efficacy endpoint of clinical remission at week 12 and missed the secondary efficacy endpoints including clinical response, endoscopic response and histological improvement at week 12. Jessica Merrill writes that the news raises some concern about the broad potential of ducravacitinib in a wide range of diseases, particularly in inflammatory bowel diseases, where BMS has been looking to develop the drug for ulcerative colitis and Crohn's disease. The company is hoping to build out a gastrointestinal disease franchise, starting with Zaposia, which was recently approved for ulcerative colitis. BMS said it continues to believe that Ducrovasitinib, which is an oral drug, represents a $4 billion market opportunity in 2029, and said it will complete a full review of the data from the trial, lattice uc and noted that a second phase 3 trial in ulcerative colitis, which includes a higher dose of the drug, is ongoing. The most advanced indication in development for Ducravacitinib is moderate to severe plaque psoriasis, where the company already reported data from two positive phase 3 trials showing the treatment was superior to placebo or Amgens or Tesla across multiple endpoints. BMS has already begun building out the commercial infrastructure to support the launch, even though it's not expected until 2022 at the earliest. Phase 3 trials in psoriatic arthritis are also ongoing. But one outstanding question has been safety, given that TYK2 is a member of the Janus kinase family, class of oral medicines that has come under scrutiny for safety recently. The US FDA announced new updated warnings and restrictions for the class of drugs that are approved for rheumatoid arthritis and other inflammatory conditions because of an increased risk of serious heart-related events. BMS, however, has argued that ducravacitinib is differentiated from the JAK inhibitors and has demonstrated a strong safety profile in clinical trials. Finally, Takeda unveiled its third gene therapy collaboration in less than two months on 12 October This time teaming up with Poseida Therapeutics on a research, development and licensing agreement for six candidates, including one for Haemophilia A. Joseph Haas reports that the Japanese pharma firm is paying $45 million upfront for access to multiple Poseida technology platforms. with a plan to develop 16 therapy candidates in liver and hematopoietic stem cell directed indications and the potential to add two more programs. The deal came a week after Takeda announced the tie-up with Selector Biosciences on next-generation gene therapies for lysosomal storage disorders, and in August, the Japanese pharma signed a deal with Genovant Sciences on non-viral gene therapies for liver diseases. The new deal marks Peseda's first in the gene therapy space, but it previously has inked collaborations in CAR-T therapy development with Janssen, Teneo Bio, and T-Scan Therapeutics. Poseidon's technology includes the non-viral piggyback DNA modification platform, which the company said might offer a delivery process for gene therapy that presents fewer safety issues than those sometimes seen with adeno-associated virus vector-delivered therapies. The US FDA convened an advisory committee in early September to review ways to address toxicity experienced with AAV vector gene therapies, the safety concern that has plagued companies including Novartis, Astellas and Biomarin. During the same day, in Investacall, peseta CEO Eric Ostertag said the piggyback gene insertion platform is highly efficient and can deliver large transgene cargo. It works in every cell site ever tested and it has advantages in tolerability, speed to the clinic and cross-manufacturing, he added. The process results in stable long-term expression, the CEO said, creating the possibility of therapeutics offering cure with a single administration. Under its agreement, Decada also gets access to Perceda's Cas Clover gene editing technology and biodegradable DNA and RNA nanoparticle delivery technologies. That's all for this time. Many thanks for listening. All these stories in full are linked in the article accompanying this podcast, and please do sign in to script to access all of your wide-ranging content. If you're not already a subscriber, consider signing up for a free trial to see what you're missing. Bye for now.